Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. Before we begin, I'd just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. We are doing a series of podcasts with the Centre for Education and Youth, the Think and Action Tank, formerly known as LKM Co. We're going to be looking into some of their research reports in a bit more detail. And today we are talking about work experience, careers, aspiration, and all those good things with Dr. Sam Bars, Director of Research, and Will Millard, Head of Engagement at the Centre for Education and Youth. Hello, Sam and Will. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so uh, if, if you could just give me a quick overview of the research that, you, that you've been doing uh, lately on this topic. Shall I kick off, Sam? So I'll talk about um, two reports that we published earlier this year, um, both of which were commissioned by Founders for Schools, mm-hmm. which is um, essentially a, a service joining the dots between schools and employers. Right. Um, so the research, the first report looks at what, children and young people should learn and when during their careers educations. Mm. So there's lots of research and evidence out there and I think it's quite intuitive, it'll be intuitive for lots of your listeners that careers education is an important part of children's overarching educations. But actually what they should be doing and when is slightly less clear. Yeah, Um, Yeah. You know, there's not much sort of robust evidence out there showing comparatively this intervention had this impact on this mm. age group versus this age group. So our job really was to try and unpick some of that and try and fill some of the gaps. And I'll talk a little bit more about how we did that in a second. The second report looked at work experience. So, you know, I can sense the collective eye rolling among, oh. again, among your listeners. It yeah. was, uh, you know, it's not a topic that necessarily immediately strikes passion into people's hearts and is often something that I think people, it's a bit of an afterthought often mm. in schools. So that research was looking at why that's the case, why aren't schools able to take, you know, able to devote more time to work experience Mm. Um, and, you know, looking at some models to make it a bit more effective. Thank you. And um, careers, it it seems to be an issue that sort of buzzes around lots of, um, as you say, research reports, ideas, things that could be done differently and and better. Um, Obviously, government have a role with um, making policy in this area. Um, Why do you think it it has actually been so hard to make a difference um, in in terms of the offering? I mean, I'm sure we can all look back on our own work experience. The the day I spent shredding was a a real highlight, (laughs) Uh, you know, and think, has it gotten any better? (laughs) Dare dare we ask what you were shredding? Uh, Court court records. (laughs) I was at Staines Magistrates Court for a week. Yeah. No, I think it's a really, really good question because actually it's not for lack of effort and it's not for lack Mm. of, um, you know, investment, actually, Mm. you know, over the years, it's something the government has expended a lot of time and energy thinking about, um, you know, particularly Department for Education, obviously, but, you know, various different ministries over the years have been thinking about how, how you link employment and education. Um, you know, it features in the industrial strategy, you know, there yeah. are various tasks for task force devoted to it. Um, and there are loads of really great organizations working in this space. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm certainly not going to be able to name all of them, um, 
here and now, but you know, education and employers, skills yeah. builder partnership, um, founders for schools. Mm. You know, there are great organisations doing really important work out there. So you know, this this infuriating question of why does it not gain more traction? Yeah, I think my first part, the first part of my answer would be that it, I think, has probably become a little bit more cohesive over the last few years. So I think the Gatsby mm. benchmarks help schools um, perhaps find a slightly more coherent way of shaping their careers education. Can um, you just explain for anyone who doesn't know what they are? Yeah, of course. So the Gatsby benchmarks um, were written by Sir John Holman and his team. Um, I think they were published in 2014, but mm. um, fact checkers out there will be able to pick me up on that. Um, and the government adopted them as their sort of statutory guidelines, essentially for the the way in which careers or education at secondary should be shaped. So it's important to add that this is about secondary rather than, yeah. than primary. Some of the principles, there are eight benchmarks, for example, saying that careers education should be embedded throughout schooling. Mm. So I think what the benchmarks offer is quite an intuitive set of principles for what careers education should look like. Obviously, they're a set of benchmarks. So what yeah. they're not doing is going into really granular detail about how it will look in each setting. Um, but I think the, the creation of those benchmarks has been really useful for schools as a way of helping them shape, shape yeah. and think about what they're doing. The second part of my answer is that this is always something that has been on schools and colleges mm. radars. I mean, you know, we've just been sort of joking about our yeah. time in work experience, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, connections, these things, they, there's an yeah. ebb and flow and things come and go. Um, I think really when push comes to shove, schools in particular, but colleges too, it's about time and it's about pressure mm. and, you know, ultimately, you know, time is a zero-sum game yeah. and time spent focusing on exam prep or curriculum coverage of the academic subjects yeah. often means that actually things like careers education can, um, you know, fall off the radar. Um, drop down the list of priorities mm. which is entirely reasonable you know I remember when I was teaching if someone had come in and said but what about careers education I would have turned around and said well yeah. hang on a second I've got yeah you know, I've got x y and z to cover in in terms of just getting through that in the day-to-day -day. so I think the first yeah as I say first thing is lots of time investment mm. and energy does go into this and there is lots of really great work but the second thing is for very understandable reasons you know schools have limited time and resources and you know mm. something something has to give and, and I, I guess for, there is there's question about the purpose of education and, so, and some people feel it's not simply to prepare people for the for the workplace, whereas you know some of those organisations that, that are pushing for, for more kind of careers activity in school are sort of thinking about the future of the of the, the workforce, and mm. maybe maybe that's a um, a challenge. And then also, um, uh, I guess there's there's there is something around the fact that this isn't something that schools can simply solve on their own within in in house. It's you know there are there are probably areas of schools' responsibility where they've had to build build specialism say i don't know mental health because they haven't had access to external support mm. so it's something that they feel that they right can deal with this in-house but with careers if you're trying to link people to businesses and the world beyond school 
you actually do need support from companies, stakeholders, access to some of those programs and charities and things that that, that you mentioned there. And is, do you think there's too much pressure placed on schools to, to to sort of come up with the solution when actually there are lots of other people who need to be involved? I think that's a risk. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, it's that classic thing whenever we sort of identify a broader problem in society, yeah. uh, you know, we tend to think schools are the way of addressing that. Yeah. So there's there's an element of that here for sure. Um, but I think, you know, I hope to offer some reassurance as well, because I think, you know, a lot of schools are doing some great work in this yeah. area. You know, the reports that I've been mentioning have got a range of case studies um, from across the UK, looking at schools that mm. are doing great stuff in this space already. So I certainly don't want to give the impression that that's not happening. As I mentioned earlier, though, I think lots of organisations are out there who can really help schools with this. Mm. Um, I won't mention any by name yeah. because that that doesn't feel, you know, I'm, no, you don't want to <laughs> sort of. Don't want to miss anybody out. I don't want to miss anyone out. Right. Is the yeah. main thing. But there are lots of organisations out there, I have mentioned a couple already, who are, you know, their raison d'etre is to help schools embed, you know, the the careers type work that I think a lot of schools are grappling with. So, you know, don't feel like this is a problem that you're you're grappling with on your own. I think, you know, have a look at what's what's available, what support is out there, because there's lots of it. And... Obviously, you've you've produced a detailed uh, report, which we will link to in in the notes. But overall, what what did you kind of conclude about that? What a good careers education looks like, and how to make that kind of age age appropriate. Mm. We've probably got quite a few listeners uh, from primary context thinking, well, actually, what should I be doing about careers? So to start with, something that is. Uh, very concrete. I think it's all about starting as soon as you can. Mm. So one of the more controversial findings, I suppose, of the uh, report about age and sequencing was actually we we were saying you should start as soon as children get into the early years settings. Okay. And inevitably, um, you know, the press picked up on that as us advocating for all children age two becoming accountants. That's not what... <laughs> wow. That is not what we were saying. Um, what we were saying is that actually, really, this is this is going to be happening in any case. Um, you know, children are absorbing all of those influences mm. around them, what their parents are saying and doing, what their teachers are saying and doing, what their friends yeah. and their, you know, what their families are saying and doing. This stuff is happening in, happening in any case. So it's very important that... Children's aspirations, children's expectations about what's possible for them aren't prematurely closed down. Um, You know, really, it's about keeping horizons as broad and as open as possible. Mm. And the way to do that is to be quite deliberate about the sorts of messages you're giving young children. So, no, we're not saying tell your two-year-old to be an accountant. But what we are doing is say, you know, pick a really broad range of books. You know, look Mm. at the, you know, actually, to be honest, this is almost a message about reading. Early reading, you know, look Mm. at the books that your children are reading. What are the sorts of role models in there? What are the sorts of occupations that those role models have? You know, just think about things like that. Um, Really, really important. Second part, I think, is really around the purpose of careers education. So we tend to talk about it in quite broad brushstrokes. Careers education, preparing young people for their careers. But actually, you can break that down. Maybe it's about developing careers relevant skills Mm. maybe actually it's about developing understanding of possible careers pathways maybe it's about 
sort of career relevant experience or um, skill sets such as CV writing or interview practice, you know, really quite specific career orientated um, activities. So I think it's about schools being really clear on what it is that they want to get from those careers activities and then working back from that. Yeah. So rather than saying we want to provide a, a careers education broadly conceived, actually what we want to do is build careers relevant skills. Yes. Okay, now let's break that down and think about what that might look like. Um, and actually, I guess now's the time when a lot of, when a lot of people are actually looking at their, their curriculum more broadly um, that yeah. this would be a good time to, to revisit that. And obviously yeah, it's always going to be a good time to read your report. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, which is freely available on the CFEY website. Indeed, and we will, we will link to it. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of those schools that, that, that are doing it well? Yeah, um, and it's really varied and exciting things going on across the country. So um, there are a couple of schools that take much more of a kind of project-based um, mm. and embedded approach. Um, so the XP um, yeah. preschool, uh, which is run by uh, Gwyn App Harry, um, they take a very project-based approach. So students, um, you know, the, cross-curricular projects which involve employers at different stages. Okay, so yeah. for example, doing a project, exploring an aspect of local history that the students feel passionately about, and from that linking in uh, relevant poetry or um, you know literature, consulting local historical sources, going out and interviewing members of the community. So sort of finding yeah. ways of approaching a problem through those different curricular channels. It's also something that School 21 do in a slightly mm. different way. You know, School 21, obviously, well-known school in, in East London um, who have these real-world learning projects where students um, are linked with an employer over the course of a half-term or a full-term. Mm. So rather than it being a one-off week yeah. in isolation where you're shredding papers, or in my case... <laughs> Sort of what <laughs> well, I went off at the at the tender age of fifteen. I went off to a local nursery school. Oh, what what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, it's actually briefly I can tell you, which is ironic given I now work in education. But um, I was informed at the end of the week. My appraisal at the end of the week was that I was a lot of fun. But the children got too excited and no, they wouldn't actually employ me. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Like an apprentice style. Yeah, and you're fired. I, just, I, I, I revved them up. And, uh, <laughs> um, but um, so, no, so School 21 sort of count, essentially is attempting to yeah. counteract the problem inherent mm. in the model I've just been describing in terms of my own experience. Yeah. You know, doing something that's a little bit more protracted. Um, yeah. But the other critical thing that they do, which I think is really, really important, because I completely appreciate that, you know, partnering with employers over the course of a full term is, you know, that's easier said than done. Yeah. That takes years to get that, that sort of partnership in place. Worth doing. What they do is they prep students for the work experience and then they feed back afterwards, which is another really critical finding of the work experience report. Mm. So they're not throwing students in at the deep end with no prior... Yeah consultation about what the aims are, for example, of the students yeah. um, involved or what actually the employers want to get mm. from it, there's, a, there's an attempt there to try and link um, and then crucially afterwards debriefing and giving students time to think about what they've learned and mm. you know, the sorts of skills that they've been developing, which is a really, really important dimension of it. Yeah, we actually, with our work experience, get 
get the students to come in um, in the half term before then they actually come. So they come, visit the office, we talk them through the purpose of it. Often parents mm. come as well and, you know, teachers can be in contact and all of that kind of stuff, like you say, um, other than just being thrown in the deep end on a Monday and have no idea what you're coming into. I yeah. It's really an cool interesting um, aspect here as well with the impending T-levels, because mm. one of the sort of key challenges highlighted in report was the difficulty for schools to work with employers which again is a really interesting paradox because you've got schools who want to work with employers you've got lots of employers who want to work with schools mm. so something happens that stops them from sort of joining forces um, and I think that often comes down to capacity yeah for both um, for both um, parties I think it's also sometimes a wariness on the part of employers about what they might be letting themselves in for. And I think sometimes yeah. employers worry it'll be more work than actually it may be to take a, mm. you know, a 15, 16, 17 yeah. year old in um, without having necessarily provided for that sort of age before. Um, that introduces a real challenge for the T-levels because, yeah. you know, a national rollout for a, for a qualification which has got that big... Mm employer component that big sort of experiential part to it yeah. which i think is great by the way i'm not saying yeah. that that shouldn't be the case but um making that work will be a real will be a real challenge mm. um and i suspect that the way forward with that will be having to take a, a really pretty localized approach um you know the more rigid um that model i think the less likely it is to be successful yeah yeah, and that is a real that is a real issue depending on where, where your school is, you know, access to to some of these employers and opportunities. Mm. We know your curriculum will be in the spotlight during your next Ofsted inspection. So how can you make it shine? The Key for School leaders have put together a free resource pack to help you sharpen your curriculum in 2020. Head to key.sc forward slash shine podcast and download your free copy today. That's key.sc forward slash shine podcast. Your curriculum, your time to shine. Um, in terms of the the impact, say, on the, the, the young person, obviously when their eyes are open to possible careers out there um, or they have those, those real world um, learning experiences, um, what do we know about how that, that then affects their academic um, performance or, or kind of attitude? Um, any thoughts on that, either of you? So, I mean, the evidence that we reviewed mm. for these reports, you know, it's, it's complicated. Things tend to be correlational rather than mm. in terms of causation. And what I mean by that is that it's very difficult to pin academic outcomes or any other you know really yeah. specific outcome whether it's academic outcomes narrowly defined by say SATS mm. results or GCSE outcomes or A-level results or socio-economic mm. outcomes in terms of you know later um, earnings yeah. late you know later in life yeah. whether it's well-being outcomes mm. anything like that very difficult to say that it was a single intervention that caused that it's easier to say that you observe two things happening at the same time. Yeah. So this person did work experience and we happen to observe that their earnings were greater in later life. Mm. That evidence does exist for quite a yeah. lot of careers interventions. So, you know, again, the, the reports set this out. There is an indication that a careers education 
and defining the term quite broadly here, mm. is linked to improved academic outcomes, improved um, outcomes in terms of life chances, access to employment and so on. Yeah. As I say, linking, strictly speaking, linking a specific outcome to an intervention, as with any part of education, yeah. is extremely difficult. Yeah, I guess, you know, that's part of the challenge if, if resource is an issue um, and, you know, you want to provide um, a good careers education. How, how does a school kind of evaluate whether or not what they're doing is, is working in big inverted commas, air quotes? I think the first thing is ask the students. Mm. Um, you know, again, I think often because of time pressures, maybe schools don't do that as often as they might, could, mm. should. Um, I think ask the students as part of that preparation, as part of that feeding back, which isn't, you know, that, that, that can be one tutor time. Mm. That's better than nothing. Um, you know, I'm not talking a week's prep and a week's feeding back. Yeah. You know, one tutor time before, one afterwards. Start small. Um, ask the students how they found it. Yeah. What was it they were learning? Um, you know, that's really, really valuable. Um, and then, of course, you know, yeah, there are other ways of, of looking at it as well. There are some tools online, you know, Careers Enterprise Company, for example, have got various resources that schools can use to audit their careers provision. Mm. Um, and actually, maybe this is a great point to mention other work that we've done mm -hmm. with Careers and Enterprise uh, Company and also with the I Will campaign about youth social action, which is very much about empowering young people. Yeah. Um, and linking that to their careers educations. And we have um, created a whole suite of resources to help careers leaders embed that in their settings. And if, if the term youth social action doesn't mean much to our listeners, well, how would you describe that? I would, well, Sam, leap in at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Dictionary definition, throwing you under the bus. Well, that was a hospital pass, wasn't it? <laughs> That's such a nasty habit of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so, youth social action is, um, I suppose I hesitate because there yeah. are different groups yeah. who, who define it in slightly different ways. Broadly speaking, it's about young people very much leading. Um, a specific project within a specific time mm. frame focused on a specific issue. Right. Um, rather than it being something that's been, you know, dictated from on high by, yeah. by a teacher or sort of set as part of regular classwork. Okay. Um, so actually some of that activity might not explicitly look like careers education or be owned by the person whose responsibility it is to look at careers or whatever but it might be building some of those career ready Absolutely. skills that we discussed yeah and i think another crucial dimension to it is that youth social action you know has a inherently it has a very close tie with the local community and mm. it has a i suppose it has almost a sort of social mission mm. to it um whether it's fundraising for a local cause or volunteering at a local you know, charity, or whether it is designing a solution to a local problem, mm. um, you know, the, it can be what the output might look like is very, yeah. very broad. But I think, as I say, it's got that student-led, yeah. uh, student-designed and community-orientated mm. um, at its, at its centre. Can I jump in on a couple yeah, of points? Yeah, please do. There's things that came to mind while you were talking, Will. Yeah. Um, um, I think there were some, some of the bits that jumped out of that recent careers and work experience work that, that, we were, that we've been doing 
that really interested me were around kind of like rethinking work experience or kind of the kind of suggestions that you make and think, oh yeah, it's obvious. Why have we always done it that way when yeah. actually, of course, we could do it differently? And one one suggestion that comes out is to, rather than doing work experience in a block at the end of the summer term, at the mm. end of year 10, mm. think about kind of spreading it throughout. So for instance, you know, the, the XP model is almost like the ultimate demonstration of kind of weaving this stuff through the curriculum. So every day students are doing something mm. that's kind of crazy. That's obviously that's quite fundamental you almost kind of redesign your school and your curriculum around that stuff and it's not necessarily about going that far if that seems like a, a difficult challenge but maybe considering whether having all your all your year 10s disappearing for a frantic week at yeah. quite a busy time of the year yeah. is the way that's going to work best for you or yeah. your local labor market and also um there are kind of like efficiency savings, mm. which is a really kind of clinical term, but also efficiency savings that work best for everyone and actually produce better outcomes for really like sending groups of kids to an employer rather than individual students all being scattered around yeah. your local employers, seeing if a local employer will take five pupils because then the pupils will learn something about teamwork. They'll probably find it a bit easier to get up to speed with their placement yeah. because they'll be in a semi-familiar environment because they know some yeah. of the faces around them. Um, the debrief is probably more dynamic because they can share as a team yeah. how they've been getting on, they can provide peer support. And from the employer's perspective, it just means one health and safety briefing. So yeah. there's actually, it doesn't necessarily involve five times the amount of work for the employer. So there are some, we suggest some some simple ways of like reimagining work experience, I guess, that might just mean that the, the bar is lowered a bit. It's a bit easier yeah. to pull off. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we have, um we have six students actually from different schools at the same time. But as you say, it's it the for the employer you can do group. You know, the, the, the pupils can do group activities, and they get a lot more out of that. And with ours, they they work towards creating a product and then explain it to a group of staff. And and they have a proper task to do, and it's not just somebody going from person to person. Have you got something I can do? Am I your responsibility now? It's like they can actually get on and, and do a piece of work. And, mm. and as you say, maybe there are some very, very simple things around contacting all of the parents. Are there more places that you can ask to provide work experience? Do you just have a template letter so that you don't have to communicate and yeah. answer everybody's no, FAQs? Exactly. And, you know, like you say, that it, it does sound a bit kind of basic when you say efficiency savings, but actually if it means that more children get out to more work workplaces. And yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think, yeah, Sam raises um, re a really important point there. And, but, you know, that's as beneficial for employers as it is for schools as yeah. well. And there's mm. a great model in Cambridge, actually Cambridge Launchpad, which is a consortium of STEM oh, organisations, okay. yeah. predominantly engineering firms, who group together and each does a little, but mm. the combined impact for the students involved is is massive. You know, yeah. what you've got, and they cater for primary up through secondary, is a an experience for the students involved of, you know, going and seeing what manufacturing organisations look mm. like, construction, electrical engineering, it's really, really broad and mm. rewarding experience, but actually the employer themselves is maybe giving up a week, a couple of days here, a couple of days yeah. there. If that, I mean, actually, mm. you, know, you could even have students in for half a day, but no, I think the efficiency saving point is that it's a great one. Mm. Um, there are places like, you know, business parks, WeWorks, like the modern, yeah. modern equivalents almost of the business park where under mm. one roof, often managed mm. by a single company yeah. or owned by a single company, you have dozens, you know, 
some in some of these kind of co-working spaces, for mm. instance, there's hundreds of different yeah. enterprises and businesses and employers. Um, so there are, there is quite interesting potential there to increase the number of different encounters. I think and I, um, education and employers talk about this this key number of like is it four or five in careers encounters that yes. seems to be anything less than that has mm. relatively limited impact if you can get it to five it's yeah. like this like magic handful of encounters basically but it could even be that you can achieve that in the course of a week or two if young people are moving between having you know a day and a half different experiences in each not something that's easy to pull off but you mm. can from a kind of a in terms of allowing young people to use work experience as an opportunity to really interrogate what they're interested in, what mm. they might want to do in the future, what really isn't for them, what's a lot harder than they thought it was, yeah, or easier yeah, or yeah. more fascinating than they mm. than they uh, gave something a chance to be when they were studying it in the classroom. It, all that stuff, I think, is more possible when young people have a range of experiences mm. quite close together because they can compare them and contrast them. And that just just to be clear that that's not necessarily just about work experience so it's not okay. yeah. you know five interactions off-site with no, an employer no. i mean that that would be fantastic um yeah good point but it's... in terms of you know you might be bringing speakers into school to speak mm. to your year nines you might be doing a gosh i don't know you might be doing a workshop a zoology workshop mm. with your year threes you know and bringing yeah. someone in uh you know a vet a local vet to sort of mm. talk about animals and, and do an activity with your year threes based on that um so you know what that looks like you know can be really flexible i think yeah. but as sam says there's this um i, I basically the, the message is the more the better yeah you know the more you can be doing um in this respect i think the more likely students are to mm. to benefit from it but Sam makes another really crucial point, which is that I've we don't so many of need them. to just, you're full of them, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> the mic goes on and yeah. produces <laughs> liquid gold. <laughs> he, um, he raises the really important point of the fact that we think about careers education as needing to produce a positive outcome, mm. by which I mean a young person finding their calling. Yeah. Realising that actually it's their, it's their life's calling to go mm. and become an electrical engineer. Or a classroom teacher, or you know yeah. anything else. Actually, careers education can be extremely powerful where it helps young people refine mm. back yeah. what their expectations are, um, or the direction of travel. Mm. Um, so you know it might be just as useful for the young girl whose parents have always told her she's going to grow up and be a lawyer. Mm. Mm. to realise that actually that's not necessarily yeah. what she wants to do. Yeah. yeah, And actually she would rather explore a different channel. Yeah, And I think and there's real power in that as well. And something, I mean, I used to, to, to work for a charity that, that did a lot of this kind <laughs> of a, stuff. Sorry, Caroline, there's a, there's, a, there's a headline in there, isn't there? CFEY tells young girls not to become <laughs> lawyers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. But I hope people take that point no, as it's completely. intended. Yeah, um, no, I, I think you're right. There's, there's, there's as much value in deciding what you don't want to do as what you do want to do because you've got to, you've got to narrow it somehow. But something that, that where I used to work, we used to talk about a lot was um, the career pathways because the idea actually that at, at 18 or when you finish university or whatever that you would know what you want to do for the rest of your life is completely outdated in a world where we're all going to be working a lot longer 
and um, we see more flexibility, fluidity, more people working as consultants, entrepreneurs, small businesses, and all of these kind of things. Not everyone working for big global multinational corporations who maybe have the money to do the mm. engagement activities. So uh, yeah, actually for people to understand, I didn't just do these subjects at school, this subject at university, start working here, and now here I am 20 years later. Like. You know, there's mm. a lot more goes on in between and those twists and turns are what really makes makes somebody's career journey. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, you know, setting expectations as important messages for employers. So I think a lot of employers perhaps are put off, mm. um, you know, when, when it comes, when push comes to shove and they're signing on the line and actually admitting young people in. I think some are put off from actually doing that because of this sense of, well, it's quite frightening, you know, mm. you've got various um you know health and safety uh and insurance implications and so on but actually you know it could be so beneficial for employers to do this yeah. and the employers who are involved almost unanimously say it's a positive experience mm. for them um whether it's in terms of them imparting knowledge um and having a you know, having a social impact mm. and helping young people understand a particular sector or a particular job role, you know, massively yeah. rewarding thing to do. Whether it's getting feedback on some ideas or a particular product idea or a particular process yeah. or their approach to social media, actually the input that young people can have can be really, really valuable. Or thirdly, whether it's a task, you know, mm. and okay, we've been joking about shredding yeah. and, you know, okay, probably not ideal to give someone shredding for a week but there, there could yeah. well be a task that could mm. be done by um by a student which adds real value and mm. i think you know a little bit of full full mm. thought mm. can pay massive dividends i think great stuff yeah no i think that's um been really really interesting exploration of of, of some of the issues um there obviously is a tricky one for schools to to, to really find an, enough time and, and space for it. But I think, um, you know, I found particularly looking at the report, a really, a really clear guide there to the kinds of activities that could go on at, at different stages of education that makes it very, very real. And um, I'm not going to say easy, but do, mm. sort of doable. <laughs> I, hope, I really hope yeah. so. I mean, we were really, really conscious writing the report not to say, just list off a whole load of things mm. that, you know, are just nice to haves but are impractical, you know, I think, I really hope this is a way of um, revisiting what schools yeah. are doing currently and making it easier, I hope. Great stuff. And as I say, links um, to those reports will be um, on the website. So uh, thank you very much uh, both for, for being here. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. And special thanks to Sam and Will for talking to us today. Members of the Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com.